It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's good to have you here. I'm always grateful for your support and participation. Um, when you, you know, uh, what do you call it? Uh, the uh, some of you guys have sent in, huh, some of you guys have sent in uh, great quotes uh, that we have uh, used on the air. And of course, when you do that uh, for the quote of the day, you get uh, some nice swag. Uh, and then some of you guys have sent in some uh, show suggestion or show topics, ideas, uh, and uh, even. Uh, guests that you wanted to have on the show. So thank you so much for your participation and your support. All right. Speaking of the quote of the day, let's start with the quote of the day. Nothing except the government can make money without advertising. And that is attributed to Mr. Leo Burnett. Leo Burnett. Nothing except the government can make money without advertising. Love that. Absolutely correct. If you're not advertising, you're probably struggling in business. All right. I'm being joined today by William Ammerman. William Ammerman is Executive Vice President of Digital Media at Engaged Media and has previously held leadership positions with Tribune Media, Hearst Television, Capital Broadcasting. Over his career, he, is, he has managed digital advertising for hundreds of television stations and their websites, mobile apps, Connecting plat- connected platforms. He is the author of The Invisible Brand, Marketing in the Age of Automation, Big Data, and Machine Learning, and writes about marketing in the age of AI at marketingandai.com. William Ammerman, welcome to Money for Lunch. It's nice to be here. Thanks. You bet. All right. Uh, good to have you here. I want to I dive in and ask you what was the inspiration? Why write the book, The Invisible Brand, Marketing in the Age of Automation, Big Data, Machine and Machine Learning? Yeah, after 20 years in uh, you know the advertising industry and with uh, academic you know experience in artificial intelligence at MIT, uh, I wanted to share some knowledge about how this stuff is affecting us all. And I gave it the name, The Invisible Brand, because I think to a lot of people they have some sense that their machines, their devices are watching them, and they're starting to talk to their TVs and their cars and their mobile devices. But the voices that are answering back aren't limited to the technology they're holding in their hands. The voices that are answering through that technology and talking to us are the voices of marketers. They're the voices of governments. They're the voices of politicians uh, speaking through the technology, and it's, it's kind of invisible to people. And I wanted to make the invisible visible. I wanted to make the hidden scene shine light on and pull back the curtain on how this works from the perspective of the technology, but also how it's changing you and how it's changing me already. Yeah, it's, it's uh, what do you call it? It's very interesting uh, as, as we continue to move forward how much machine learning, AI, call it robots, call it bots, call it whatever, all this automation is 
is affecting us, right? I mean, there are jobs that are being displaced right and left. And I believe it was Emory University a few years ago that said that, uh, and this is like I said, three or four years ago, when they came out with this white paper, there was, they were speculating that 47% of all jobs will be affected by some version of, you know, automation or bots or AI. Well, we're all being affected, and, uh, and you know, you can look for evidence of that all around you. In terms of, you know, kind of the marketing and advertising worlds, we have made a transition from broadcasting the same message to everyone to where we can now deliver personalized information just to you. Uh, when you and I were sit, you know, are sitting next to each other in an airport, you might look at the, the homepage of the New York Times, and I might look at the New, you know, the New York Times at the exact same moment on our laptops. Let's see, we're, say we're going through, our, you know, through the Internet, and we're looking at that page. We would see some of the same news stories, but we would see different ads. The ads mm. on that page have been targeted just to you because, based on your behaviors and just to me based on my behaviors. Now take that one step further and realize that the actual news that you're receiving is also being tailored. Your Facebook feed is different from my Facebook feed. We're putting different news stories in front of you based on what you like and different news stories in front of me based on what I like. So we've moved from delivering news that people need to delivering news that we, people like. And now that we've made that transition, we're able to see the impact, and that is that people are starting to put themselves into little echo chambers, little cocoons of information that they like. We're no longer consuming information that we don't like. If we don't like it, we don't listen to it, and it's never delivered to us because we've filtered it out. That's an important change that people need to be aware of. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? Uh, I forgot all about that. You're absolutely correct. I mean, we're constantly uh, being able to refine what we're seeing. And, you know, that not only is that good for us as a consumer, it's obviously incredible for us as marketers, right? It, we don't have to have that shotgun effect of, of blowing out a big budget because we're not really sure who's going, who we're going to attract or how we're going to get our message to our ideal clients. Now we can literally zero in on who is going to see our messages. Right. The phone that you're carrying is all about you. You know, we used to say the eyes are the windows to the soul. I think your, your cell phone is now the window to your soul. I think your cell phone that you're carrying tells the marketer where you've been, not only in the virtual world, but in the physical world. If you've got Bluetooth turned on your phone, we can watch when you walk into the grocery store. We can watch which aisles you walk down and where you go. If you go to the airport, we can see your movements through the airport. We might not know your name, but that's irrelevant. If we know that you visit the airport you know, frequently, twice a week, you might be a business traveler. If we know that you uh, you know, buy, if we can also see you show up on golf courses, we can say you're a business traveler that does business on golf courses. Well, guess what? We start delivering ads to you based on assumptions we make about the movement of your phone, both online and in the real world. And that's better than knowing your name. We know the identity of your phone because it's right. the window of your soul. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, that's incredible. I, uh, I, yeah, it blows me away. All right. So, uh, your book again, focuses quite a bit on artificial intelligence. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about that. Uh, you know, why 
why the focus on artificial intelligence? What are you seeing coming down the pike or coming down our future? So uh, artificial intelligence is a game changer because uh, it allows us to learn how to persuade you. So no, no longer are we waiting in a you know, focus group room to test out a message, but we're able to actually deliver messages in mass out to lots and lots of different people to test them in real time. If you don't respond to a, a specific message, we deliver a different message and we can optimize campaigns and information. So you're now being persuaded by machines that learn how to personalize information to your tastes. And now today we're talking to our devices. So now you're having a conversation with a machine that is by design learning how to persuade you. And I think it's very important that the, we're making the turn to speech because speech is very human-like. Um, you know, when we were dealing just with the graphical user interface, we had to find ways to persuade people visually. But speech is somehow deeper. It's more innate. We learn to speak when we're a year, year and a half old. We don't learn to read until we're four, five, six years old. And, and so, you know, when you look at speech, it's something deeper inside us, and it connects at a, at a more empathetic level. So now we're using speech through these devices to communicate. Now, today, what are we asking? We're asking basic things. We're asking, you know, directions to the nearest Thai restaurant. So we're in our car, and we might ask for directions, or we're sitting in our living room, and we might ask our TV, uh, you know, for a recommendation on a scary movie. But tomorrow, we're going to be asking deeper questions. We're going to be asking questions about what kind of car should I buy? What kind of house should I own? What kind of job should I seek? What should I study in college? Who should I marry? And when we're having those kinds of conversations with machines, we're going to be open and vulnerable to a whole new level of persuasion. And marketers realize this. Um, the, the trailing side of it is the consumer. Consumers have this kind of vague sense that they're being watched, but I don't really think people understand just how powerful AI is and how powerful it can be through speech and through natural language processing. So that's important to educate ourselves about so that we can both recognize the opportunity but protect ourselves from the risks. Yeah. That's incredible. So, so since you mentioned risk, let's talk about some of those risks. What do you see as some of the, some of the risks that we need to start becoming aware of? Well, um, you know, so Christie's Auction House auctioned off some paintings not too long ago that were painted by a machine. Um, it was using something called uh, generative adversarial networks, which is really a fancy way to say there were two algorithms. One algorithm generated lots of different images, lots of different paintings per se, and the other algorithm judged which of those paintings would be popular with humans. And so it, in the struggle, the adversarial struggle between these two algorithms, it actually generated paintings that human beings did in fact purchase at Christie's auction. So when we look at that very simple example, we can start to extrapolate and say, well, what else can a computer generate that humans would accept as human-like? Music. What about news reports? In fact, we are able to now write news reports using artificial intelligence. We do it with box scores for baseball games. We do it with stock quotes, things that are fairly bounded and finite. But we're getting better and better to the point where we can start to deliver news and information that is designed just for you right now on the fly. 
So imagine the potential for abuse. Let's imagine that there's an algorithm that runs the stock market, that runs trading based on what news and information is hitting the wires. Now imagine that somebody writes an algorithm that creates the news. And what would happen if the same people who write the news also trade based on the news and imagine the chicanery that you could introduce into the marketplace if you wanted to manipulate it by one algorithm that writes news that triggers buying and selling on the stock market. Um, so that's an example of the kinds of risks that are inherent in this technology. Wow. Uh, you know, now that you said that, first of all, I'm thinking, boy, that's a great novel slash movie, wouldn't it? That'd just be a, you know, <laughs> kind of a cool uh, entertainment piece there. But at the same time, sooner or later, somebody's going to try to do something like that. I, I think that's just inherent human nature. We're going to try to capitalize on that. If I could write a program that not necessarily creates the news, but capitalizes on the news and, and they know that, hey, that uh, – I don't know, there's going to be a shortage on steel and, and all the news cycles are reporting the shortage on steel. Well, now is the time to to place an option or, or uh, sell off, you know, what do you call it, sell off steel or whatever. Uh, it's going to be interesting. Um, now, let me ask you this. Do you think that there are some risks for business who are seeking to utilize AI as well? Well, I think the risk to business is not utilizing AI, uh, to be honest. And I think that okay. um, voice is one area in commerce that people need to be very, very adept very quickly. It was 20 years ago that we were all faced with, you know, search engine optimization. It was this new idea. And, you know, people had to make the decision, do I invest in this or not? Well, of course, we know how that story plays out. So if you're not in the search engines, you don't exist anymore. Uh, but I think voice is very similar to that. As we are increasingly buying things using voice, your business has to be there. You have to be found in the voice user interface. So some businesses recognize this, and they're starting to make the investment. You know, can my products and services be found using voice? Can they be purchased using voice? People are asking that very important question right now because they realize that voice is exploding. The number of devices that are in use is growing exponentially. Um, we're buying, you know, smart speakers and smart TVs and cars that have voice features at a very, very rapid pace. This is an explosive, you know, marketing opportunity for those who are willing to get involved and figure out how to sell their products using voice. For those who aren't willing to get involved, they're not making that investment, they're going to be the guys that didn't make the investment in SEO 20 years ago. And, of course, we know how that played out. So um, I would encourage businesses, understand that artificial intelligence is already at work in the marketplace, and you need to be absorbing this knowledge. You need to be understanding it. My book's a good place to start because I really lay out technically how it works, and I help people understand at a fundamental level what's happening, but I also explain the ramifications. So not only how did it emerge and how did it come about, but where are we going and how does it affect different industries? Uh, and I think that's important for all of us to educate ourselves, um, not only as consumers, but as marketers and business owners. Uh, we've got to understand this stuff. It's happening. Yeah, yeah. It, it, and I'm glad you said that. No matter what, it is absolutely happening. It's There's no, what do you call it, uh, way to avoid it. Uh, the book is The Invisible Brand, 
Marketing in the Age of Automation, Big Data, and Machine Learning. The Invisible Brand, Marketing in the Age of Automation, Big Data, and Machine Learning. Uh, and uh, the author is William Ammerman, A-M-M-E-R-M-A-N. Uh, all right, so, okay. Let's talk, let's, let's talk about this. Um, you know, how, how does this all relate uh, to your current job? Uh, did, did it make you better at your job? Uh, talk about this. I've spent the last 20 years of my career in digital media and digital advertising. Um, so I've been along for the ride and, in fact, uh, implementing you know, new technologies at every turn. Um, and I, you know, went to graduate school and studied programmatic advertising and wrote my thesis about it. Um, you know, the changes that have occurred as a result of digital advertising have been tremendous up until this point. But what I foresee for the future is an apocal shift in the way people buy and the way people are persuaded. Um, so not only have I applied technology in my current role and in historically over the past two decades, but I'm looking to the future to say, in business, we have to anticipate consumer needs and find ways to deliver goods and services profitably. So it's that anticipation of consumer needs that you have to you know, grapple with. And in a very rapidly techno, uh, uh, a landscape where the technology is changing very quickly, you have to be nimble, you have to be agile, with your technology, because as a marketer, if you aren't being found in the new marketplace of the future, you're gone, you're invisible. And you know, you've got to realize that you've got to penetrate through this technology to talk to people. You've got to be in touch with people at an individual level. There's no more mass broadcasting. It's now mass customization, mass personalization down to the individual level. And you've got to find ways to get through the technology and talk to your consumer. Um, and if you don't, if you miss this opportunity, uh, you'll regret it 20 years down the road. Yeah, uh, maybe even sooner. Yeah, I love that idea of not mass marketing, but mass customization, right? I mean, I think that's an interesting uh, little uh, caveat there. Let me ask you this. Um, here you are, you're a first time author, uh, I want to talk about maybe some of the challenges uh, that you had to deal with and how you overcame them. <laughs> Writing a book is not the easiest thing I've ever attempted. Uh, I will say that. Um, you know, I think there are people who are good at churning out books, and that's not me. Um, you know, I don't have the personality or the discipline to just sit down and write for eight hours a, at, a, at a stretch. And I was very frustrated um, working on this book. After McGraw-Hill uh, picked me up as a first-time author, um, I got bogged down, and I admittedly stumbled in terms of being able to just focus and, and write um, and, and generate copy day in and day out. And I actually recognized my own problem and said, okay, I need some help. I got to get over this. I got to get through this uh, you know, road bump. And I, I, I you know, understood my own weakness and I compensated for that by going out and finding a researcher who would help me. And the, our, our working methodology was terrific. I would simply define, you know, here's a study. I'd find something that I thought was interesting. Here's a research study. I want you to boil this down to a couple paragraphs for me. And suddenly I got unstuck. 
he would send me over a couple paragraphs. I would glue them into the larger chapter that I was working on, and I was no longer kind of bogged down, stuck trying to distill kind of you know one little point out of a large uh, you know document. And for me, that was very helpful. Every writer is going to be different. Every writer is going to have different challenges. I would encourage you, if you're in the business of writing, figure out and be honest with yourself about what your weakness is. What is it that you're not doing well? Where are you getting stuck? And go ask for help. I thought it was cheating at first. I thought, oh, you're supposed to sit down and you're supposed to write the book by yourself. It's supposed to be a solitary exercise where you're supposed to be locked in a room with you know, just you and the typewriter. And right. in fact, that's not the case. You don't have to suffer through this alone. There are people who are willing to help in the process. And for me, that was a big wake up. You know, that was something that really helped me uh, get myself unstuck to just recognize your own weakness and supplement it. Find a solution that gets you through that problem. I think right there is a great takeaway for all of us who are stuck, whether they're writing a book or writing an article or, you know, whatever it is they're challenged. Sometimes we think that we have to go it alone. And we have to realize that, that, you know, there's somebody out there that could probably help us get past our sticking points. And we just have to have the, I guess, the humility to, to, to get the help. It does take a little humility and courage to admit where you're weak. And, uh, you know, none of us want to say, hey, I've got a weakness. Uh, I've got, I'm not good at this. That, that's something we try to hide when we're applying for a job. We hide, hide it on a resume. We hide it from our, you know, our significant others, people we're dating. Hide your weaknesses. We're, you know, almost taught that instinctively. And so it's against our nature to stay, you know, hold up a big sign and say, I'm not good at this. <laughs> yeah, it's, absolutely. It's terrifying, actually. It is. Uh, but in the it end, it's, it's a requirement to stand there and hold that sign up because you're never going to get over it unless you hold the sign up that says, I'm not good at this, help me. And, uh, yeah. and so that's hard. Um, it does require humility and, and a degree of courage. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, we're out of time. If you want to find out more about William or get his book, you can go to W-A-M-M-E-R-M-A-M-A-N.com. Let me try that again. It's, it's, it's almost like Whammer, uh, Whammerman. It's Whammerman. It, yeah, Whammerman. Uh, it's W-A-M-M-E-R-M-A-N.com. I'm going to put it in the show notes. I'll also put a direct link to his book, which is available on Amazon in the show notes. And uh, you can find out more about William there uh, at uh, Whammerman.com. Get his book there and all that other great stuff. William, I want to say thanks so much for stopping by and sharing. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. Good stuff there. Uh, You know, I just, I like having somebody like William come on and kind of let us know uh, what to expect, the good, the bad, and the ugly about AI, and it's here to stay. You got to learn how to go with it. Anyway, my friends, let's share this episode with everyone we know. Let's help everybody be a little bit more successful when it comes to AI and digital marketing. As as always, my friends, thank you so much for stopping by. Remember, you were created to succeed. Tune in Monday through Friday here on Money for Lunch. And check out our website at moneyforlunch.com.